These tools are for you to use. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife. I'm Dave Marr. This is my show. And in it, I talk to creative people, artists, activists, people using their imagination to make the world. I ask them to use that same imagination to tell me their thoughts on the afterlife. I am a comedian who was in a coma. That's that's sums up my whole life. That's my whole story. Um, no, I was, I, I was in a coma for a month, six years ago, ancient history at this point, but I did milk two one man shows out of this experience. And one of those shows formed the basis of this podcast. And here we are. I give that little extra intro because my guest this episode is Mike Watt, legendary bassist of the Minutemen. I say without qualification, the greatest band of all time, recorded my favorite album of all time. Well, actually these days it's like tied with Miles Davis in a silent way, but neck and neck with that is Double Nickels on the Dime by the Minutemen. And so I imagine we may have some people who are like, who the fuck is this guy? If that's the case, hello, welcome. I, It's me, this guy. You can learn more about me at my website, thisisdavemar.com, or anywhere on social media at thisisdavemar. At my website, you can sign up for my mailing list, which is great. It's like uh, I'm sending a weekly newsletter where you are getting basically like a work in progress one-man show or a zine. Mike and I talk a ton about old school punk culture in this episode. He refers to his own website, which is the Hoot page. I've also linked to that. Um, he refers to that as a zine. So if you like the zine vibe, sign up for my newsletter, go to Mike Watts' website. All of that stuff is linked in the show notes. Now, I may have to give a little bit longer of an intro for this show, and that's because Mike Watt is his own orbit. And you you start a conversation, and just like the Minutemen's music, just like his music, it's flowing. And so I just let that happen. This show has kind of solidified segments, but I'm happy to break the form, and you'll hear things happen slightly differently than they do in other episodes. Also, on that note, because there is so much that I could not fit into the 40-ish minute format I like to do with this show. There's a ton of extra conversation. There are all sorts of great morsels that we did not get to. We talk about the way in which Mike Watt reveres the dead. I do these animal spirit readings with guests. So, And then we, all, we also talk about my sort of assessment of the Minutemen as, and the entire DIY ethic as how it relates to mutual aid. I say we do this, but I just told you that that's not happening in this episode. So where are we doing this? Well, we're doing this over at my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Dave Marr. If you have any money to throw my way, you can donate on Patreon and get all of that bonus content. I, I guarantee there is going to be at least another episode's 
worth of content. Also, I want to give a shout out to the the pigeon level donors there. Kurt Chang, Katie Llewellyn, Susie Carroll, thank you for donating at that level and making this show possible. So I should mention that the other members of the Minutemen are Dee Boone and George Hurley. George Hurley was the drummer, Dee Boone, the other big songwriter, Mike Watts' best friend, and I posit in this episode, maybe soulmate, who died tragically um, in a car accident. And he talks about that. When I reached out to Watt to do this show, I called it a podcast. And he he sent me an email back that said, I don't use that fucking P word. And I was like, what? The, the P word? And he was like, it's it's based on a on a technology that doesn't even exist anymore. And why be a shill? And I was like, okay, you know, f- f- fair enough. I get it. But I say that because you will hear at least once in this episode, me say the word podcast and then catch myself and he called me out on using the P word. So that's that's the P word we're referring to. I'm, I'm getting into the territory of, of pre-hashing things that you're about to hear, but I just want to set it up and explain that I have some context with Watt. This is not a guy that I reached out to out of nowhere. He and I have a bit of history together. And that is, I... My first full-time job out of college was writing in the music news department for Pitchfork. It was at the time it was still pitchforkmedia.com, but they've got the the URL now pitchfork.com. I wrote for Pitchfork and I was writing music news and I was reporting on the fact that Watt had just started recording with the Stooges for their big comeback album. And he had released a little like diary on his website. And I was kind of combing from that to assemble the story. And so early in this episode, when he talks about the diary thing, that's what he's talking about. And, you know, he had he had gotten, you know, Iggy Pop had talked to him about this. He wasn't pleased with it. We talk a little bit about that misunderstanding about my impression of that. But I just want to set the scene that... You know, this is 2007-ish. I met Mike Watt through Pitchfork, and that's, you know, where all of this comes from. So the last little things I will say is I think I do think it's important because you kind of can miss them if you don't, if you don't if hear it the right way. But there's at least three people that he refers to, and he does this with a lot of people in in ways that you would not normally hear these people referred to. So like Mike Jackson is Michael Jackson, Jim Brown is James Brown, and Dick Hell is Richard Hell. So other people can get the same context clues I did, but maybe by laying that out up front, it will eliminate some confusion. The last thing I will say is that this is being released on Election Day 2020. I have no idea if the fucking internet is going to go down tonight. And and this will all be lost to history. So who knows? But I am glad that it is Mike Watt, the Mike Watt episode that I'm releasing today. Because the Minutemen's music is political. And as he talks about in this interview, it's not even, yes, their lyrics are political, but the way they organized the band was about democracy and about looking out for each other and about spending time with the people who are most important to you. And I'm just glad 
to hear him talk about that on this day. I hope you are too. Please enjoy my conversation with Mike Watt. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatar. When I'm in Shatar, I treat it like that's really progress, getting people to take up art forms as a way of expressing themselves. Yeah. And not just dressing up for that's why Halloween's my favorite hollow uh holiday. It's one day all year that we finally admit we're wearing fucking costumes. We get into the pseudo reality where it's all the arts aren't anything but like kind of show shit on, on the reality, which is what being the boss of everybody else. That really the goal in life to be a boss and have people waiting on you. I mean, in America, apparently, but yeah, but I'll tell you, and I've learned this about just on the music thing about playing different roles. If you're always the boss, you're always getting your way. You're going to miss out on learning lots of stuff. Well, that's one thing that I really appreciate about you is you live that man. And, and like, I, cause I remember when we met, you were in Chicago recording with the Stooges and you had just, maybe I've told you this story before, but you had just, um, I mean, I also don't need to tell you the story. You lived it. But the way I remember it is like Iggy had just chewed you out, I think. And you well, it's because of the diary thing. Oh, oh, interesting, interesting. Because the way I re-remembered it is like there was some part. And I asked the pitchfork people like to take down the link. I do remember that. Yeah, I do remember that. But like, but you were there and and you were like, because obviously he's your well, he didn't know. And afterwards he said, you know, Mike, the label thought that was good because more people knew about the record. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was coming from a different time, you know, where you, you did have secrets and surprises and. Oh, no, but to me, it's not a story about him being an asshole. To me, it was a story about your humility, about like, I'm meeting you, which is like, you to me are kind of like Iggy is to you. And you're and you're there. And I'm like, I'm like comforting you. And I'm like, I'm sure it's okay, man. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, how can I help? You know, and I was like, so impressed that like, because I always, you know, especially like, not that I always feel weird saying I'm getting older when I'm 36, but like. You know, I'm I'm te- I'm teaching some classes now, and I always feel like I gotta make it seem like I got stuff figured out. But you didn't make it seem like that, and like that that made me respect you and and love you all the more. And I I really appreciate when these people with like seeming authority, uh, y- you know, admit their cracks, like show show that they're flawed human beings. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, at the end of the day, you gotta live with yourself. And I really love that guy. And I love, love Stooges. I know. I'd do anything to hurt that man. They're beautiful cats. You know, three of them are gone now. You don't yeah. know how long. So really in the moment of the ego, do you really want to? So you learn to weigh up stuff and size up stuff. And, you know, if there's going to be a mistake, I'd rather have the mistake on the other side, you know, instead of the self-important side. So there's always room for that shit. So, and, and, and then bottom line was he's not abusive. It was not abusive. He just yeah, no, coming from a different point of view and stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and the man was always great for me and he defended me in a lot of situations. Uh, it was not, I, I was not like the, the, the beat down child. Yeah, of course. Of course. I didn't think of it like that. No. You know, and a lot of nervous that had been a Stooges album. What? Uh, to, to, since 1974. Right. Yeah. It's pressure. 
so he felt a lot of pressure and, and you know, there was a lot of things going on probably, you know, it wasn't just about what, and that's why I had to get myself out of there. And like, this situation is bigger than just my little ego here. Yeah. Being a bass player, you kind of, maybe the big picture, right? You can ruin the fucking song. You got you got to be, but you can also be an aid in bed like James Jamerson fucking making that song really move. People don't even know why they're moving because you're, you're, they're feeling it more than they're hearing you. And that's where, where I got to be. And that's what I was trying to do there. I, I was just trying to size up the whole shot. And I could tell that this man, how's he going to make a good record feeling bad about this sitch? When it's Mike Watt the second, man, okay, that's why I put my name in the band, you know, who to blame. But when you're helping the Stooges, I used to have this nightmare, you know, Dave. Uh, I want to be buried at sea anyway, but like the, this gravestone, all it says on the gravestone was fucked up a Stooges gig, you know, fucked up a Stooges <laughs> album. Yeah, I don't want to be, that's the only thing, I've, right? So, you know, I felt this guy was fine. So, you know, as your prioritizing thing, you know, Watts ego, well, I'll put that a little below fucked up a Stooges gig. <laughs> I actually I appreciate you talking about this tombstone because the the trip of this podcast or oh man I said it again I'm so sorry I'll say the show so I do these one man shows right and my most recent one man show uh, I set it all in the afterlife and the show's called Feed Wolf Ice Cream and uh, I'm glad you like that but I a lot of people just kind of look at me confused <laughs> but uh, I. <laughs> I can take it. <laughs> I appreciate it. But in the show, I ask some questions, right? And I'm trying to like get where people are at with like, you know, because I I come from this coma shit and and I had a lot of thoughts about dying and still do. And so I so there are a couple of like specific questions, but I think with you too, I want to go in like all sorts of different directions. So the thing that I would start with, because you mentioned that uh the dream about that tombstone is in terms of like, I call it funeral planning. Have you thought about what you would want at your funeral? You said you wanted to be buried at sea. I want to give my friends a boat ride. I want to be buried at sea. See, my pop, you know, he was a sailor. And he, he said, yeah, 25 bucks, they give you a flag. And then what happened, he died. They put him in the fucking ground, his second wife. Ugh. Oh, in a way, I want to do it just to avenge him. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but the other thing was, here's another kind of trippy thing, kind of revenge. If I uh, get buried at sea off Pedro here, well, I evaporate and go up into the cloud. Then I rain on the motherfuckers here like that asshole <laughs> told me that he didn't like my decal picture on the base. <laughs> then he has a breathe in my ass. <laughs> That's great. Also, don't bogart the fucking, uh, yeah real estate. And I, so I thought about things like that. And I asked my sister, Melinda, make sure, please, I go into the, and then I give all my friends a boat ride. I thought that would be like kind of a present. That's good. How, what else would you want on the boat ride? Do you have like, are there people you would want to say stuff or? Oh, whatever. Just them getting on the boat. Yeah. Hopefully I don't get sick. <laughs> Supposed to be fun. <laughs> Is there any other ideas you have about how you want people to, to remember you or to, to like celebrate you. You know, th that's what the works are. You know, I mean, the D uh, days with me and D boom, we thought of records were just like flyers for the gigs. We never thought of them being like tombstones, 
but they're like tombstones. So you've changed your your thinking about that. Yeah, and I'm so glad because we we didn't like records. Now I'm glad we did them. God, that's the only way I could hear the you know gigs are because in those days it was different. The the movement was all about being in the moment, and we were reacting to a, a lot of what was before, right? Which was arena rock and just smoking mota and listening to albums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, the gig where you can actually have gigs, and that was such a revel, uh, revelation. That, that was not a possibility to us before the movement. Not at all. That's all different. That's all because of the movement. So, you know, me and Dee Boone's life are much different pre-post. Yeah. Graduate Peter High in 76. It's right at that point that it all changes for us. Is there a specific record that you feel like you would most want to be remembered for? Well, the best one I played on is probably Double Nickels on the Net. Is there a specific song on that album? My songs for that album are weird because I just got finished uh, reading Ulysses. You know, I'm 25 years old and I finished Jim Joyce's Ulysses. Right, 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 right. Uh, Yeah. Bloomsday and shit. You know, there's even a song called June 16th. It was Raymond's B-Day also. But anyway, one song has nothing to do with that book obviously the one about the landlady's note was one, but this other one I picked, I sent a song to Mike Jackson's uh, management. I thought if Mike Jackson covered this song, that we would never have to explain what the Minutemen were about ever again. Why? What's the relationship there? Because it's good enough for Mike Jackson to sing it. Oh, it would it would just validate in other people's minds. People didn't want to talk about the music part of the Minutemen in those days. Right. And Dee right. Boone called the lyric, Dee Boone thought the political part was the way we organized the band. He got the idea from the R&B guys to play real trebly mm-hmm. so the bass and the drums could come up. Of course, Georgie and me were into that. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, you, but Dave, you can understand that's our experience going to clubs from Marina Rock. You can hear the drums and bass. In fact, one big fuck up of the minute, man. Was putting Georgie in the back. That motherfucker, you know, in the last twenty oh, years, my no, no. are right up front. Yeah, shit, got, saying the guys retarded, putting them in the back. Rock and roll is rhythm music, and especially a drummer man like George Hurley, put him up front. Totally. Well, I mean, even just watching him play is like showman like. And him being the guitar player, I'm not going to play power chords. I'm going to play all trebly like the R&B guys do, so you can hear the drums, you can hear the bass. He said the lyrics. It was just about thinking out loud. Okay, so outside of the music, is there how do you how do you think about your legacy? The Minutemen is about these guys who used music to be together, you know, after school in the bedroom. It was his mom's idea, you know, because Praj, I mean we're talking early seventies, so not a lot of guns, but fighting and shit. So she wants us in the house. Uh, not getting in trouble. So it's kind of kind of child cares. But the way <laughs> we hung out was do music. And then there was a scene that let us take that thing, that relationship, whatever you want to call it, and and do it in front of people. And and not and it wasn't lame. So that and it's not even about music in a way. It's about just guys being together. And I, I th- I remember one D. Boone's uh, one time he said, you know, we could play anything we want just as long as it sounds like the <laughs> Right. 
Well, is that's the Minutemen, but how? what about you? How do you think of your own personal legacy? Well, look, this is what I mean, Dave. People ask me the difference between new, nowadays and the old days. The old days was about people. There is no difference because the old days was about people and the new days is about people too. It's always going to be about people. And music is something that people do. So there's the music thing, but then there's the people. And, that, and, and you know, me and D. Boone, the, the Minutemen and them and Georgie, you know, it was about us guys playing together. And I, I think uh, there's a, a lot about especially about D. Boone, man. He did not look the part. You don't know how many bouncers pulled him off the stage. We're getting ready to play the gig. Happened to me a couple times, but it happened to him all kinds. They just would not believe he was in the band. Why? And because you're supposed to look up, you know, certain. I even when I'm I signed to Columbia, you know, I brought in the tapes for my first album. They thought I was a male guy. They sent me to the mail room. They, <laughs> I was, they know I was one of their bands. The whatever the door monitor, <laughs> you call it the guard. Right, 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 right. Okay, you, you know, D. Boone did not look the part, you know, and I think that was something about, and that, but when it was time for him to play, and you know, this guy had to be called fat his whole life. A buddy of ours would call him fat man right in front of his ma. Mm -hmm. And D. Boone would take blows like that, but not arrogant. I'm not trying to say he thought he was better than anybody because he didn't. Very generous with his heart. But when he got up there to play, he... You know, this idea of, like, might be your last gig. He always played that way. Igg's like that. The Stooges, you know. Igg was like, we're going to work this fucking room. His ethic, man, the Stooges, when I got to help them out, I, I couldn't believe how on some levels it was like being still being a minute man. Mm. You know, him and uh, D. Boone and, and Igg shared a lot of kind of things in a way, uh, especially working a stage. And doing a gig and music, the values that they saw. And D. Boone could paint too, so he's an artist, you know, uh, artistic guy. Uh, and man, I was scared shitless to be in front of people, man. But you looked over at that guy, and you were you're you're his left hand man. You're you know, and mm -hmm. Jordan, too, you know, these guys. You're up there with you're, you're on the sh shoulders of these guys that are hard chargers. Even if they don't look the fucking part, whatever that's supposed to be. I, I know, little Richard. Right. I, it's fucked up how rock and roll got so fucked up about you had to look certain way. Man, it started out as this outrageous fucking thing. And then it got so square, John, in a way. Well, uh, you know, there, there, there's something about it. I mean, I can't tell you because I'm not other people looking at us, but that seemed to be... Uh, one of the attraction of us. Like, we did not look like the guys that were supposed to. And I had dudes telling me I shouldn't be playing with a watch on. <laughs> well, right. I mean, it sounds like one of the things you're talking about is the thing that I, that I mentioned earlier is like the humility. It seems like the humility and the, and the collaboration. And I mean, maybe it's corny, but like the love is like part of the legacy. Is that right? Yeah. Big time. Big time. It was very personal, though, you know, and to, uh, a scene that let you do that, I got to give credit to. I, I still feel a debt. And that's one of the big reasons why I do my radio show, my internet show. To pay back on that openness, that tolerance, to let me and D. Boone 
come and do that. Well, how do you pay it back? By by spreading other people's shit? Yeah, like getting them a shot, right? Hey, want to go on the show? Hey, what's the, uh, the uh, first music memory you got? When did you play mm -hmm. your first gig? You know, shit like that. Because I'm interested in it. Because you know what? There's not one way to do it. There's billions of ways. As many ways as there are people. So the thing I wanted to ask you about, the thing, the thing, you know, because it's a, like it's a podcast about the afterlife, right? So P word. I know I keep saying the P word. I'm sorry, man. I don't have the same. It's know. okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go rehearse some hoops. I, I mean, that is if 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 basketball players were saying rehearsal, that would be pretty funny if they were rehearsing some hoops. <laughs> um so yeah, so it's an afterlife show, right? And my question is. What do you hope happens when you die? I get to see D. Boone. <laughs> you know, if you're talking about wishing, but I don't know what happens. I, I do know there's things I've left here uh, that, that, you know, certain ways of doing stuff. And maybe they're not used in a tyrannical way. Because <laughs> humans like to take good ideas and twist them up. So uh, the idea of the base is a composition tool. <laughs> How about that? Maybe it's not where you put your retarded friend, you know, in like right field in Little League. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's up to the people that are left here after. But... I sure hope my stuff don't get twisted into some weird thing that's used to hurt people. Yes, yeah. there's enough of that shit. If you, if you did imagine the scenario where you see D Boone, what's the first thing you you say? I don't know if I say I probably hug him. Yeah. And. I, you know, I had a weird thing a couple of days after he got killed. You know, I had a dream where he was in it. We're looking at this weird, well, I'm seeing him. We're in this, it seemed like a bank. And a weird painting. Like, like where the rug went up to the bulkheads and shit. And it was all bright orange. And there's a big painting of all these, like, Peter Max abstract shit of Abe Lincoln's with the fucking stovepipe hats. And he's studying this painting. And I'm thinking, you can't be here. This is wrong. You got to, you know, like I had to tell him that he couldn't be here. And then, you know, I never had another one until I got his guitar, you know. His brother made it so I could get two of his guitars. These were in the crash in the boat because it wasn't unloaded yet. And he had his strap. It was leather. And when I, I didn't open it up for like 10 years, when I did, that smell hit me and I could see him. Wow. Two seconds. So those are the only times I've seen him really in, in weird, alive. And both times, it was scary to see him. So I think if I saw him then, I would hug him just to hold on from falling down maybe. Yeah. Does he feel, I mean, maybe this is the wrong word, 
but I get the sense when you talk about him that this guy was like your soulmate. Yeah. Well, I would ask him everything. What would you ask? I still do, but he don't. And he wants me to think about it. He never fucking answers back. <laughs> it was like it was, my pop, right? He was a chief in the Navy, like a sergeant. So if I did something bad, go in your room and think about it. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst torture, worse than any ass pounding, you know. Right. And the same thing, you know, you ask, but there's no answer from him. And like these people, oh, I know what D. Boone would do. I know what he would say. And I'm thinking, you know, bottom line is that's the problem. I don't exactly because I would ask him and I do ask, but there ain't any answer. But that makes that's sense. How vital the guy is. He's, it's a hole. He's gone. Yeah. It never got filled again. Well, that makes sense to me. I mean, the fact that you're like one of the closest people to him, if not the closest person to him, you know, maybe family accepted, but like. You know, to re- you know, I think about it in terms of my situation. When I was in that coma for a month, and there was a there was a day when they were going to take me off life support, and and it spread all over. You know, at the time it was Facebook. People were people were posting eulogies about me, but my closest friends, the people closest to me, were not. They, they didn't post eulogies, and it wasn't because they were being polite. It's because they didn't know how to sum me up in like a three sentence Facebook status. So the idea that you as this closest person would not be able to say, well, I don't know what he's thinking. I I don't know what D Boone would say. It feels like it speaks to the fact that you have a more three, four, five dimensional view of him. Yeah. You know, my uh, 21st, what is that? Eight days ago. So it's been one, one, one year and eight days. My mom, I had to leave. And I didn't announce it to anyone. Yeah? I just, yeah. What, what, what like, boast? <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I mean? And, and like, okay, I do celebrate D. Boone's birthday, but never that fucking December 22 day. Yeah, of course. Well, you don't know uh, the spiels I get from people about that day. And I'm saying, I'm sorry, it's not a day for me to celebrate. It's probably the worst day of my life. Yeah, it's, I can't. You know, everybody's got their own way of dealing with that shit. And it just for me, it's like, whoa. It's powerful. But, you know, I mean, that Heidegger guy, he's a fucking Nazi. But he did say, <laughs> <laughs> he did say maybe we spend a little more time in graveyard. You know, there's a Lenny Bruce cover where he's picnicking on the graveyard. The Italians do this shit. But, you know, I had to take a young man on tour because Raul could be missing man drummer. This guy, 40 years younger. Big man. And he says, you know, we got an hour to kill. And I looked at him. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't got an hour to kill. <laughs> you know, we fool ourselves, you know, about the fucking dangling, uh, the, the reality, right? It ain't even dangling. It's like fucking full on. But we put ourselves out because it's just such a horrible thing to think about. But we only got so much time to pull this shit. But there's a shift after us. There was a shift before us. That that there's something about that, and that's why I say words like movement and t- traditions. You know that make sense. That are stupid things to hurt people. Mm-hmm.
Well, so I want to ask you another question. This is a question pretty much straight from my show, the Feed Wolf Ice Cream Show, which is, you know, I'm 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 telling people we're in the afterlife. The lights have gone down. Hey, the lights are up. We're in the show. The show's the afterlife. Let me show you around the afterlife, you know. And one of the things that I say is that in the afterlife, you get to completely relive one memory. So the way this works is you're not just it's not just flashing up in your brain. You're back down, like physically reliving it. You're not stuck in it. You're, it's not like forever. It's just like a, a door you can open and pop into whenever you want. But you only get to choose one. So if that were true, what memory would you choose? Yeah, I got this weird one. It ain't from too long ago. Maybe 10 years ago. This guy calls me up. Who was he? Anyway, come come up to the Viper Room in West Hollywood, you know. Uh, Eric McFadden, nice guy, great cat, Grizzly, New Mexico. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's going to be blues jamming E minor for an hour and a half. <laughs> but, you know, he's a great cat. And I get up there. And I, Doug Wimbish, the bass man, is on stage. And then there's Blackbird McKnight and uh, Mike Hampton from P-Funk. And then George Carlin, I'm George Carlin, George Clinton <laughs> walks up on stage and we do the whole Maggot Brain album. Oh, shit. And I looked, when we, back in our mind, when we went to the course part, I looked over at Doug Wimbish and he looked at me and he goes, why? You know this part. And there was just something about that. Because it, the whole thing was unexpected for me and everything and all of a sudden I'm... I'm and then I learned later that some of them songs they had never done live. George Clinton had never done with any of his bands live. He did the whole album from the beginning to the end. And that back in the mind, when I looked over and Doug just shook his head and looked at me like, why? You know this song. I don't know why, but that one second, it, it was just a trip. It was just a trip. You know, the whole thing, you know, went about music. People, what kind of bass player are you? Really easy. I'm D. Boone's bass player. So I've been always insecure about music. It's always been about D.B. Boone. And, you know, I've had to been without him now over 35 years. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I'm a bass player. And maybe it was something about like that. Like, by Doug doing that was like, you know, you're, you ain't just ballast. You're, you're, you're pulling away. I don't know. I just it felt... Uh, I felt on board. I felt on board, whatever it was. I, it just was like, I, it was just a real brief thing, a small thing between uh, two guys doing music at a club in West Hollywood. So he was kind of like, it was like respect he was giving you. Maybe maybe it was. Uh, yeah, definitely. De not, not even maybe. Yeah, definitely it was. But it was just not, I wasn't looking for it or anything. It was just, it was a surprise. The whole thing was a surprise that we were doing this. It wasn't blues jam any minor for <laughs> Right. In maggot brain. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, oh my God. That sticks with me. Now, look, there's min millions of uh, moments with D. Boone and, 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 and Stooges and, uh, Helping Jay Mascus and, and the Porno for Pyro guys. I mean, there's been lots of things, but for some reason that 
it always comes back in my mind uh, the last 10 years since it's happened. Like, man, wasn't that a trip that that happened? And maybe there's a reason for it, and that's why I would want to think of it. When people jumped out of that tree, you know, and he didn't have his glasses on. So she said, you're not Eskimo. Because that was the name of his buddy who lived next door, his nickname, right? No, I ain't Mexican. I ain't Eskimo. That was a moment, too. That changed my whole fucking life. That's one of the reasons why I'm talking to you, Dave, because I ain't Eskimo. <laughs> well, that's funny. That actually, I have another question, which is just, what's your coma? Which is, to me, I just define it as a moment of transformation from your past that feels like a death and a rebirth. Before it, you were one person. After it, you're another person. That definitely is. Because, the, you know, I take them to my house, right? I hear all the bits on the way there. Okay, tomorrow you come into my pad and I'll show you. Right when he takes me to his pad, his ma, because his ma played guitar, so she had Dean Boone already taking lessons from this guy, Roy Mendez Lopez. You're going to be on the bass. You're going to have a band. I didn't even know what a fucking bass was. They completely changed my life. My poppy and a sailor never there. D Boone becomes his daddy. Danny Boone becomes kind of my surrogate. That was that was the life changing moment. Uh, if I add up all the life changing moments, big time that one was. Because what about who were you before? I was a guy out of Navy housing. Now I don't know sailor sons. I'm with civilians. My pop now is stationed up in Alameda on the Enterprise, first nuke. He's an engine room guy, right? Nuclear one. And so they put him on this. And my mom was like, fuck it. No more moving. We're staying in Pedro. So I couldn't leave in the Navy housing anymore. I'm not a sailor, son. Now, Navy housing was interesting because it's all integrated. You know, I'm, I'm at a birthday party and a Jim Brown song. I'm black and I'm proud. We're all singing this stuff. <laughs> you right they told us we're all sailor sons i didn't know that civilians live separate now i didn't know officer sons we were all enlisted men right up to chief and stuff like that so we were segregated that way i didn't know officers thing but we weren't as far as the ethnicity so that was a big difference civilians didn't live like military that way they they your skin color all that stuff made big difference Navy housing, we thought all the civilians were millionaires because they had their own houses. <laughs> we had no idea. We lived in our own little world. But but it was a, a thing where we were very together and we had this identity. We're sailors' sons. I don't know if any of us wanted to grow up to be sailors' sons. My pop said I kind of grew up to be a sailor just in the Pope Navy. Because <laughs> I started sending him postcards from tour. He couldn't believe that shit, that I was playing all these places. Yeah. Or from Arkansas. He could not believe that I was playing gigs down there. Wow. But then, you know, actually, that's when, you know, that's after he retired. He did 20 years and he starts to get to know me. You know, it seemed like our lives weren't that much different. That's why I used his life in the Navy as a parallel for my first opera to talk about the Minutemen, something I couldn't talk about for, what, 12, 13 years. I couldn't talk about losing D. Boone until I used my pop. I had just lost my pop. Because those engine rooms, right, nuclear and cancer killed him at 51. So before I was D. Boone's bass player, I was a Navy son of a sailor. I always was a son of a sailor, but that was more my identity. But, man, I didn't live in Navy housing anymore. I didn't know what. 
But right away, that summer, within within a month, within a couple of weeks, I meet Dee Boone, and my whole life changes. And music is a huge part. And not just listening, but being a part, doing American Woman for four hours after school. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's interesting too because this this moment before is like you're calling yourself a son, and this moment after, you're calling yourself D Boone's bass player. So it's it's very interesting that that but the thing but the thing that's similar is you're still there are still outside figures that are really important to these identities. Yeah, I need a connection. That's one thing about living in Navy housing. There was a lot of dudes. They were moving all the time. You never, in fact, no first names. That's why I don't use first name. I didn't grow up with first name. Even if mm. there, were, there was two guys, right? Thompson, no, the other one. You know, <laughs> right, you right. just didn't have time. It was weird. A military yeah. life is strange. I remember my pop saying, "You know, they wanted us to have a family. They would have issued us one." <laughs> it was just so weird. It's just strange. But uh, whatever, right? You, you get dealt a hand, and you got to play the hand. But some things are circumstance. Some are coincidence. And D. Boone jumping out of that tree, that was very big change. That changed me forever. Yeah, it gave you, I mean, it, you know. But so did the movement. If we were just two years earlier, yeah. you know, we would be trying to be Foghat. Right. We saw Samoy Brown. They were okay, you know. But. <laughs> but you, so you, I mean, you had this kid fall out of this tree. You get a friend. And you get a life's purpose, basically. Totally. Totally. And it was really tough. His mom dies when we're 18. We get graduate high school. That year she dies. And she was the pillar. Everything fell apart. Everything fell apart for him. Kind of me, too. Poor D. Boone. But then but we had the band by, you know, we started to do the music and the band. And then especially the movement saying you can do gigs. You just don't have to do this in the bedroom. You can actually take this in front. In fact, you can write songs. You can express yourself. You got something on your chest, you can get it out. Because that was in us. We, we were experiencing this as boys in the 60s. We saw people expressing themselves. We just didn't know how to do it ourselves. And music became that for us. Kill one thing. One small thing in culture or daily life that you wish would just cease existing? Mosquitoes. <laughs> Why? Why mosquitoes? You know, they kill more people than anything on the planet, 20 million a year, because they're vectors. Really? And fuck, I got eight up, you know, last year I tore in Italy. Oh my God. They call them Zanzari, and they fucking ate the shit out of me. Yeah, their kind of thing. But you know what? Nature somehow needs a role for that shit, huh? I mean, but they... They're they, the they, kind of thing that I'm really not into. <laughs> <It's mosquitoes. laughs> I love dragonflies. They eat their babies. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is not what I was expecting you to say. I know you have so many strong opinions on so many things. And for, for it to be mosquitoes, that that's a delight. Yeah, they hurt a lot of people. <laughs> Thank you for listening to This Is Your Afterlife. You can find me at This Is Dave Marr or thisisdavemarr.com. 
sign up for that newsletter. Go to the patreon.com slash Dave Marr. Get the extra bits of this conversation. Go to Mike Watts' Hoot page, linked in the show notes. And I will talk to you next week. Please take care. Impossible you can do Miracles Miracles You can do them Have faith You're human Only human And human beings they do Miracles